The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Pleather, and my guest is Neil Cowan. Neil is the Policy and Campaigns Manager at the Poverty Alliance, Scotland's anti-poverty network. They help to alleviate the impact of poverty by finding out the changes that real people need and then communicating that to those in power. We talk about the reality of poverty in Scotland. It's not living in 1920s backcourt slums. It's the difficult choice between heating or eating. And while reflecting on this manufactured and avoidable disparity that exists, the language understandably gets a wee bit intense, so if that's not for you, here's your early warning to just switch off now and listen to something else. Neil explains Jags for Good, an independent party Thistle fans group recently set up to assist those in the local community and further afield. We talk about Neil being both a celebrity in China and also the worst English teacher they've ever had. We chat about Mr Bean stealing comedian James Acaster's girlfriend and whether footballers deserve the money that they earn. And as always, there's plenty more. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly payments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blithered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't fret about debt, offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. Before we talk about all your good points and all the nice things that you're doing and all the how you're fighting for the wee guy, we'll focus on your flaws, right? Big <laughs> Thistle fan. That's a big flaw. You see, I, I, I was reading the house on your your, um, your profile on your, your work website. It didn't say you go and watch Thistle games. It said you endure Thistle games. Yeah. How how did you become a Thistle fan? Is it because your dad was... Was your dad chairman? It was, yeah, for a while, yeah. So my dad, so my dad's not a Thistle fan originally. So he grew up in uh, in Largs. He's a Largs Thistle fan. Then right. moved to Glasgow, and then when he had had me and my sister, um, wanted to take us to the football, but didn't want to take us to Rangers or Celtic and the Thistle were local team. So, um, I mean, I've yeah not forgiven him since. To be honest, um, shameful decision from him put me through this much this much misery. But <laughs> yeah, so like I went to my first game when I was about three, I think, and then it's kind of been consistent since then. And then yeah, in nineteen ninety seven, um, Thistle were in real financial difficulties mm. and my dad along with a lot of other fans um set up a campaign called Save the Jags and they raised I think over a hundred grand basically to pay the players wages to the end of the season. Wow. To give the club some some breathing space. How did they actually get that back then as well? How did you get that much money? It was literally things like um selling badges, selling t shirts, putting on like Kayleys, comedy nights, um like auctions, dinners, dues, kind of everybody mm. pulling together, pulling in like every favour they had. And yeah, they kind of basically bought the club the breathing space to sort out the, the finances. And then they, they saved the club, essentially. You know, the fans saved the club. Um, and then after that, yeah, my dad was invited onto the board and stayed on for, I think it was 13 years, 
probably a few years too long, I think. Uh, By the end, you know, helping to run a football club, you become a bit uh, a bit jaded and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it can be quite tough when the team doesn't do well. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it's fun since I was about three, but yeah, my dad had that kind of involvement as well. I mean, at that point as well, if I'm going by memory, Thistle saw back-to-back promotions come up mm-hmm. to the, what was then the SPL and... I was actually at their opening game against Dundee United in 2002, just after the Japan South Korea World Cup. Mm. It was a, a nil-nil draw against Dundee United, so a bit boring. But yeah, um, I some some turn around. I didn't realise that. I, I had no idea that Thistle were in that. That guy would have been like five yeah. at that point. Yeah, I mean things are never never dull being a Thistle fan. I mean, like I've seen more promotions and relegations than probably <laughs> most fans have. I was working it the other day. Actually, I've been to I think every ground in Scotland apart from I think Edinburgh City and maybe Elgin. That's purely because Thistle have been. Up and down the league so much. So one one now that you mentioned that, I need to give one of my dear best pals, Craig Johnston. Uh, Craig works for Live Nation DF concerts and he's almost ticked off every ground. Right, okay. But he's a Celtic fan and he's got a soft spot for oh he's, fuck. Now it's Alloa. He goes right, okay. to Alloa games as well. So I'm yeah, I'm assuming yeah. that's how he's managed to yeah. like tour all of them. It's some achievement. What's yeah. what was your what's your what's your favourite ground to go to and what's your, your least favourite? Uh, I mean, Fort Hill's the favourite, but no, I, I like Tyne Castle. Um, I Tyne like Castle's better. It's nasty. That's it's why na- I like it. It is nasty. I remember we beat them 5-2 there once in like 1995. And I remember I was must have been, what, like seven. And uh, there was guys spitting on us. No, yeah. I remember thinking, well, it's kind of gross, but it was also kind of like, it's kind of, no, it was a bit, it was just a bit mental. Aye, and, uh, but yeah, Tyne Castle, Somerset Parks, class, um, Gayfield's class. Mm. they'll never win there either no um, Gayfield's no class if you're playing there though the, the story <laughs> the, the things you hear people saying about it just an absolute hellhole to play in yeah, yeah I mean, just purely because of the weather and all that yeah, yeah I mean North Sea like coming over the stand and all those kind of things but um, is, is I, that, does that actually happen I always thought that I was know. like a, a hyperbolic sort of myth I don't know I always enjoy that there's the big I think it's in amusements uh, next to Gayfield called Pleasureland it's mm. quite a nice little contrast on like the kind of barren North Sea. Aye, uh, you got a little place called Pleasureland, but um, aye, it's a nice, it's a nice stadium. We um, we we'll, we'll can I come back to you? So, uh, and and specifically your sort of education, because I believe like your education leads on to, obviously it leads on to what you've grown to work in. But I'll I'll ask my questions as I go. Hmm. Right at school, did you know what you wanted to to go on and do, or did you kind of fall into it through? I suppose choosing your uni course um, I don't think I necessarily knew what I wanted to do I was always really interested in, in politics and mm-hmm. always very exposed to politics from a young age um, like I remember I mean people always think oh, this is made up but it's not like my, generally my earliest memories of my dad um, building a, a bonfire on Guy Fawkes night and burning Maggie Thatcher so like, I, feel like I, I didn't really have a chance in terms of being <laughs> political do you know what I mean it was, it was kind of um, inevitable so um, yeah I was always interested in politics and yeah. I guess what's happening in the world and that kind of led to, to uni and then that kind of led on to the kind of the kind of work that I do so is your dad really obviously politically engaged but is he really socially conscientious then uh, I would say so yeah I would say so um, yeah he's always very yeah always very politically engaged and um, from a young age so I suppose that's kind of kind of rubbed off and mm-hmm. yeah as I say you can't really you know Maggie Thatcher's burning in the back garden so you can't really help but take uh, that in you know and, and don't take this in the wrong way by the way because I mean it very much complimentary yeah. but you sound like you've had a, a comfortable upbringing mm-hmm. uh, which uh, which you you'll recognise <laughs> uh, well educated obviously very intelligent as we'll talk about you've got a master's in polit- politics and English literature and a master's in international politics is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So undergrad was in yeah English and politics. Right, okay. and then, that yeah. is a fucking piss take, mate. Because I mean, I went to college for three months and was like, oh fuck this, man. This is too difficult. <laughs> More so the structure, not the content. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. I'm that daft. Yeah. Um, but, so that then strikes me. You know, you could have probably gone on and and earned a lot of money doing a, a you know a lot of different things. But you seem to have gone down a route of standing up for the little guy, so to speak. Um, I suppose yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I. I don't know if it was a conscious conscious decision or not. I just sort of um, yeah knew I wanted to do something um, sort of politically focused and kind of campaigning mm-hmm. focused. And um, I think yeah, you're right. So I definitely had that. You know, I grew up in Bears Den, so I'm from a, a solidly middle class background. Um, so yeah, that can be sometimes quite I don't know difficult to navigate when you're doing the, the kind of work that I do because yeah. I don't I work for a poverty charity. I don't have lived experience of poverty. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of hard to navigate, but. Um, ultimately it's what I'm passionate about doing and yeah. what I enjoy doing and um, yeah that's that's kind of as simple as that for me really see I, I get what you're saying about that about not having that lived experience and mm. I think while it certainly helps I don't think there should be any exclusivity like mm. it shouldn't be well you know you've never heard like there's a noise that makes me like honestly like pussy fear of God into me and it's like <laughs> There'll be some people who know what I'm talking about. See if mm-hmm. I hear like a rapid beeping. Mm-hmm. To me, that means the electricity meters about to yeah, run it. Yeah. That's a fucking horrible feeling. Yeah. Or being in a shop and be like calculating to the point of pence. I mean, this is years ago I'm talking now, but mm-hmm. pennies, like, can I afford to get that? Or am I going to be like 80 cents short? Like shit like that. Yeah. It certainly helps with the understanding, but it doesn't mean that you can't earn. I think it only takes human compassion to to to, to sympathise or to kind of to, yeah. to relate and, to somebody on and that. I think as well if you're if you're politically engaged or kind of socially conscious or socially engaged uh, and you're actually you know, you've got your eyes open in our society and yeah. you look at and see the kind of the kind of struggles people are experiencing particularly at the minute then I think if you don't get kind of angry and motivated and in, enraged and engaged then there's something wrong, something wrong with you um, so oh, yeah. I mean the statistic that I saw today one in three children now across Glasgow growing up in poverty yeah and I think, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think people's understandings or people's um, perception of what poverty is makes them sometimes not realise that A, that they're living in poverty or mm-hmm. that they grew up in poverty or B, that that it does exist. I can't remember now. remember getting uh, talking to a pal the other day and he was saying about his mate who goes, poverty's not a thing anymore. Poverty mm-hmm. just doesn't exist. And you're like... Because we're not talking about fucking slums in the nineteen twenties and yeah. corbels, but it very much exists. How how would you define poverty in well, this th- day and age? Well, I think what you're saying is exactly right. So I think you've got in in the UK you've got um, attitudes that veer from like poverty is not a thing. It's something that you know you know it's the Victorian era experience mm-hmm. or it's an experience that people have elsewhere in the world. So you go from that to people who absolutely accept that poverty exists but who are really kind of fatalistic about it and yeah. say there's nothing we can do about it like you know the systems the system's rigged the system's fixed people live in poverty and that's just kind of how it is you've got to endure it um whereas actually poverty is just something that happens because of decisions that are made by politicians about how we design our economy and, and all that kind of thing um, and also people often think that poverty is about um not having a job um which is just not true because you've got over I think 65% of children in Scotland living in poverty live in households where their parents are in work. So it's, you know, the whole thing about work being the best route out of poverty just isn't isn't true. Mm. Um, so, I mean, what poverty looks like is the kind of things that you were talking about in terms of the the kind of fear and anxiety that you, that you can have with, you know, when the meter's running out or whatever. Um, it's, you know, parents having to 
you know, make really tough decisions between whether to put food on the table or to pay the bills or, you know, buy their kids a new pair of shoes for, for winter or buy them a jacket. These really kind of daily, daily impossible choices that um, accumulatively place huge amounts of stress and anxiety on people um, and then impact children, young people as they, as they grow up as well. So, um, yeah, it's a kind of all encompassing experience for people, I think. Mm. Um, it's, I, I mean, I get really frustrated. Like, can I go back to the, the, the person who was saying, you know, it kind of doesn't exist or poverty it just isn't a thing. Mm. And I think, I think it is that lack of understanding. I think it's great. I mean, to hear that for you. So you, and we'll talk, I'm going to kind of jump all over here, but I think mm. it is relevant. So your policy and campaigns manager at the Poverty Alliance. That's right. Yeah. First of all, then I suppose, cause I was just about to say what frustrated me, but I'll, I'll kind of come straight in with this question. How would you define just for everybody's understanding what the Poverty Alliance is and, and what you do? Yeah, so we are the National um, Anti-Poverty Network in Scotland. So we were made up of around, I think it's about 350 organisations ranging from like large charities everyone's heard of, like Oxfam and Save the Children, down to kind of grassroots organisations mm. that are working with people in communities, also like trade unions and faith groups and kind of any organisation in Scotland that is committed to, to tackling poverty and believes that you know a Scotland without poverty is possible. Um, so a, lot, a large focus of our work um, is on campaigning, basically to get the the government, whether it's UK government, Scottish government, or local government councils, um, to do everything they can to to to, you know, to make the right decisions to to tackle poverty. Mm. Um, so so yeah, we do that, and within that, we try and involve people, or we do involve people, um, with direct experience of poverty, so that they can tell us the kind of issues we should be campaigning on, so they can you know tell us the kind of policies we should be trying to shape. Um, so so yeah that's really what we do we try and bring people together whether it's organizations whether it's individuals and um, to try and kind of speak with one voice to those with power and um, to try and do something about the the injustice of of poverty in scotland so you you speak to people on the ground so to speak and find out what the issues are what do they need and you can form that where do you then take that to um whoever needs to hear it so uh, predominantly government yeah. so um scottish government uk government um yeah, local authorities as well so we're always engaging with um, you know, MPs, MSPs, mm -hmm. whoever we think um, has the power to change things. Do you find that, you may not be able to answer this, but I'll ask the question anyway. Yeah. Do you find that they are very receptive to what you say? Do you find that they pay lip service? Do you find them roadblock? How, how do you find it? I mean, I, I suppose it can be all varying. But... Yeah, I, th I think it can be all those things. So I think, um, it, I mean, it can really, it can be really... Um, frustrating sometimes when you can see you know obvious solutions to 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 poverty mm -hmm. that politicians don't want to hear or don't listen to yeah it's particularly difficult if, we're, if i'm totally honest um you know if i try to influence the uk government it's very 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 difficult to get any traction whatsoever it's not necessarily a government at the minute that's particularly um not spending an awful lot of time yeah. thinking about how to tackle poverty. We definitely get a lot more traction with the Scottish government. We can definitely get things yeah. done there, but still, you know, we still have to fight hard and campaign to get the kind of the changes that we want um, to happen. So, um, yeah, there are there are some fantastic politicians in in Scotland and across the UK who really do listen, really mm -hmm. do get it. Uh, there's also lots who don't. So that's the kind of constant battle. I mean, I think anybody who listens knows very clearly what my opinions are on the UK government but for the interests of um, balance or for trying to give them a fair hearing <laughs> I'll, I mean I'll ask some questions and if you answer you can feel free to answer just yes or no if if you think that would suffice is it more difficult for the UK government because there are more layers of approval or more layers of um, I don't know hierarchy to get through or do you think it's just a case of they're like don't give a fuck mate 
Uh, no, nah, it's the don't give a fuck, mate. For a, for a, for a large portion of it, I think it is that. I think... Um, oh, I got, 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 lie down, man. Somebody <laughs> get me the smell and salt. I can't <laughs> believe it. I, mean, <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I did not see that one coming. <laughs> I think that's the thing that frustrates, frustrates me most um, is when people, are, when politicians have the power to do something and they, they don't use that power. It's when yeah. you hear, you know, particularly MPs um, stand up in the Commons and and spout, you know, whether it's complete untruths or whether it's just focusing on entirely the wrong issues or, or whatever it is when, they, when when people have power to really change people's lives and they don't use it, it's um, it's pretty shameful really. So, um, yeah, it's it's probably the second option that you gave it a... Some, some f- Tory, I don't know, fucking... I am, I don't know what his name is, I am dickhead, whoever it was, <laughs> stood up, I think it was today or yesterday, mm. and he was basically advocating for the deportation of refugees to Rwanda. Mm. And then shortly after stood up and said we should show compassion to Boris Johnson and um, and his, I don't know, and, and because of the flack that he's getting, and you're just mm. like, fuck me. By the way, incidentally, I was in York um, last week, just stopped over because I was driving back up for Essex, yeah. and I saw the birthplace of Guy Fox. Right. Make of that comment and connection what you will. <laughs> um, you know, you can join the dots. Just say, oh, imagine oh. that. Like, it's, yeah. but I was about to say it's unbelievable, but it isn't unbelievable, is it? It's completely believable. No, no, and it's not. And I think you know the kind of policies that we are seeing now in terms of the the whole you know deportation to Rwanda issue, but also before that, the, the whole way that our asylum system is, and the whole way that the UK government and lots of the right wing media kind of frame issues around asylum and refugee issues um, is is again shameful and. Um, it's, I think, yeah, the way we treat refugees in particular coming to the UK is one of the, I think, the biggest stains in our society. The way we, we lock them into poverty because of the, the absolute pittance that we give them to get by. Um, but also the kind of narratives that develop from the, from the media and from others, particularly politicians, um, you know, the, the sort of damaging narratives that, mm. that are created is just, yeah, it's a real stain on, on I, society. I, I suppose it's, it's quite pertinent, um, relevant just now, but I've been really like, there's a couple with some of the things I've seen with people's response to Ukrainian refugees coming mm. here. It's like, I always make no secret of this, right? I get really emotional with nice stuff, mm. pure well up and all that. I just, it's like a completely involuntary <laughs> yeah, reaction, yeah. right? And I've had a lot of that. We've seen some of the stuff and you're like, I feel so, what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like really, um, Oh, it's like giving me a bit of faith in humanity and yeah, be like, it's been so lovely it's been so nice and seeing the way that people are pure pulling out all the stops and they're just like us and that and I'm like can we not extend this to people slightly further afield yeah just maybe slightly lower down in the shade chart yeah because and it's like what there's no difference other yeah. than they just happen to be geographically a bit further away yeah I think I think you're absolutely right I think the kind of compassion that we see we've seen in response to the Ukraine refugee issue if we can kind of harness that and and kind of spread out across a host of different issues like poverty mm. you know the fact that people do want to reach out do want to help other folk who are in difficult situations um, that's the kind of that's the kind of secret. I'm thinking back to um, at the start of the pandemic when everybody was, you know, there's a kind of mutual aid stuff going on, and people were like living yeah. food to their neighbours and all that kind of stuff. There's a real sense of communities kind of pulling together, mm. um, and but that's kind of dissipated a bit now. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that kind of instinctive compassion that people have, whether it's for refugees or whether it's for their, their neighbours that are struggling, is there. Um, mm. And I think politicians ignore that a lot and try to kind of push against it. Um, but yeah, it's a case. For, for me and my work and for others yeah. my kind of work to, to kind of try and harness that I wonder if there's a conversation to be had about you know the increase or the, the sort of proliferation of like globalisation mm. in a sense where it's like feeling less what, 
when it was I'm trying to get my thoughts right in my head. So say when it was COVID, right? And it was communities like yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. this street that we're in right yeah. now, or these wee areas, that's you can look these people in the eye yeah. and you're like, well, there's a kinship here because we mm. we technically live in the exact same fucking house. Like your house yeah, layout yeah. is the same as mine or whatever. But when it's on a bigger scale, you're like, ah, well, not my problem. That I can't see them, can't can't relate to them, can't yeah. look them in the eye. And yeah, I, I think there is a sense of that. I think like, um, I, mean, I think probably one of the reasons why people feel there's been more compassion towards Ukrainian folk than than maybe refugees coming from other parts of the world is just white that, and blonde. Yeah, there is that, and, and just the kind of familiarity in terms of like. Ukraine being somewhere that's just that bit closer than yeah. elsewhere. So, you know, some you know, and I, I, have been to Kiev or, you know, we've played yeah. in the football or, or whatever. It just feels that, that more kind of familiar feeling. So I can get that. Like, I, I do understand that. I think that is a human, that is just a sort of, um, again, something that's quite involuntary yeah. because it is a bit closer. I think that's fair, that's fair enough, but it's like, let's extend that. Realise you've got that in you. Like, I saw some, uh, I made a point about it. I was so pissed off when I read it and, I mean, Twitter is a cesspit at times, but it was some woman, right? And she was saying, I think somebody was saying, like, maybe we should give people maybe like an extra tenner a week. Mm. And she's gone, no, my parents grew up after the war and they had to make doing it. It's like, yeah. shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were born after World yeah. War II, so shut the fuck up. Your parents' lives were miserable and horrible. Yeah. And I bet you at times they thought, we're probably better off dead, such yeah. as their level of absolute turgid misery. Yeah. And, and like, there's this weird British mentality of wanting, yeah, yeah, well, you should, people in the past went through that, so yeah. you should always go through it. And she was saying no to handouts, right? Mm. She shared a petition on her own Twitter saying she was like, eh, at lobby your MP to ask for five hundred pounds a month more in pensions, and it's like, yeah. well, who's the fu- who's asking for handouts now? You fucking rat. Yeah, and that's the th- I think that's yeah, that's an attitude that you see a lot, and it's, it's it, and it's kind of forgetting the whole. I mean, the whole like point of humanity to like progress humanity, not to like constantly look exactly. back to points of misery. Um, yeah, you, you hear that kind of thing all the time, don't you? Like, you uh, know, living on rations and all that kind of thing. It's like, well, that's not a good thing. You no, shouldn't aspire to that. You should like accept that for people in 2022. Yeah, it's um, like, you need to stop watching fucking Dad's Army because it wasn't <laughs> like that. Like, yeah, it was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Like, I used, I used my, like I was saying, no normal person mm. would ever want that. Any normal person would look and go, hold on a minute, like, that's that was awful and, and I really suffered going through that. I don't want yeah. other people to, to enjoy that. I use my mum as an example. And uh, I don't think she'd be all right with me saying this because, you know, as a resident, I suppose she should be proud as well. So my mum had me at 18 mm. and I only found out as an adult, like not that long ago, and she made a joke about it, a joke out of it. So she went to uni, worked like four jobs. Mm. Um, don't think she realised that there was certain help available. Maybe it, there mm. wasn't certain things available back then because we're talking like early 90s. Yeah. But I only just recently found out that she would go without meals so that I would eat. Like we, we lived in poverty and at no point would she ever want anybody else to go through that. I even felt mm. like her, this actually is horrible to thing me look back on. So her pure like luxury meal was like rice and sweet corn and this chicken tonight sauce remember that yeah, I yeah. feel like chicken tonight yeah, yeah. but right. minus the chicken right okay yeah, yeah. Like how fucking brutal is that yeah, at yeah. no point was she ever wanting and now she's done amazingly well for herself mm. but there was a time when she lived now at no point would she ever say no well well, I had to go through it so you need to go through it instead she's actively marching in George Square and all that demanding yeah. better for other people and I'm not holding her up and saying so basically my mom is Mother Teresa I mean but it's like she's a she is a normal human yeah. who's got compassion so I think 
to apologise to the person for listening for me just having 20 minutes of getting raging and shouting <laughs> down the mic when I'm meant to be interviewing no, you. No, no, no. And I think, I think it's I just think, coming out. No, and that, that's what it does. I think, um, and you know, there'd been politicians in the early 90s when your mum was having to do that that had the power to change that and had the power to, to you know put extra cash in her pocket to make sure that mm. she didn't have to do that so she could put decent meals on, on the table uh, etc and they didn't do it and that's just the biggest frustration for me as I say when when politicians or anybody with that kind of power to actually transform people's lives mm-hmm. don't use that power because like what a dereliction of, of their kind of moral duty Absolutely. to not do that um, so mm. that's yeah, that, that gets me really pissed off. They're, as well, not, so. they're not shy in giving themselves a pay increase, are they? Well, there you go. Yeah. Or you see people saying you need to live within your means and then you've got these cunts fucking claiming all sorts to heat their fucking driveways and build extensions to their house and pay their second mortgages. And yeah. you're like, you... Well, it's even, I mean, so last last um, was last October, we were um, campaigning with lots of other organisations across the UK to try and prevent the UK government from cutting universal credit by £20 a week. Mm. Um, and, you know, you got lots of government ministers coming out and saying, you know, we can't afford that, or, you know, this was only a temporary measure because of the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. Um, and actually, you know, they knew that by cutting tw- universal credit by £20 a week, that would plunge, you know, thousands of people across the country into poverty. They knew that the energy crisis was coming. They knew that, you know, therefore making us cut at that time was even more... Um, dire but, but they did it anyway and um you know it's those kind of decisions that that just yeah are unfathomably um lacking compassion and that that really kind of yeah mm. they really piss you off yeah really 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 does now, you speaking about these things when all these things are taking place and if you mentioned there the the cut in in the universal credit you i feel like you're fairly relatively prominent in national media when it comes to these things, because you're often asked to comment on these kind of things. How does, how is that? How do you, how do you balance that? Cause you're hearing me, right? See if, see if um, like a PR person, a journalist for me and said, um, you know, can I get your comment on this? They wouldn't be able to print it. Cause it'd be full of fuck this cunt, fuck that cunt. He's a wank. I'd smash fuck it. Yeah. Cause such is the rage. How, how do you possibly, <laughs> Is it, are you just innately professional or do you have to, do you have to like regulate what you say? Um, I probably get most of my like, uh, fuck this cunts out like for hell on a Saturday to be honest. So uh, that's probably out the way already. Um, I don't know about prominent, but yeah, like through my job, I do have to do. I know I would, I would say prominent. I would say prominent. Um, Maybe I'm out of opinion, but I think, (laughs) I think prominent. Well, thanks. Um, no, I think, I mean, yeah, you've got, you've got to be professional even when the anger is there, um, which I think it always is in the kind of job that I do. Um, I think the key thing for me is that um, the whole reason that I would do media or any from the, the organisation that I work for, the Poverty Alliance, would do media is to try and change people's minds. Mm-hmm. So there's actually no point in going on and just being an absolute headbanger because you're just going to appear like a headbanger and yeah. the people that agree with you will agree with you and think that's right. And the people that are on the fence will think he's a headbanger, I'm mm-hmm. not going to agree with him. And the people that don't agree with me anyway definitely won't agree with me so weaponize it exactly so um i think um the absolute key in the kind of job that i do in kind of any kind of campaigning job really is to win hearts and minds and that means trying to influence and uh, change the minds of people that don't agree with you Mm because if you if you don't do that then you're kind of pissing in the wind a little bit um, yeah. and nothing's going to change. So you have to kind of channel the, the anger and the frustration that you have into um, yeah, maybe a more kind of cautious way of, of presenting your opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but doing it in such a way as to, to get the point across and actually get support for what you're trying to campaign for. Now, in order ways to gain support, I suppose this may be setting up other groups or kind of going down other avenues or sort of squeezing other opportunities. So Jags for Good, would you say mm. that's what that is? And we'll, we'll, we'll describe to the listener what Jags for Good is. Um, yeah, I suppose it is a little bit. So it's, it's completely separate from my, my actual day job. This is purely something that I'm kind of doing as a, as a Thistle fan, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I can talk about it, Jags for Good, if, if you want and give a bit of a... Absolutely, I would, yeah. I would love to hear just basically what it is. What it is, yeah. So Jags for Good, so um, what I kind of... I could describe myself as a kind of independent fans-led initiative and the aim really is to kind of mobilise Thistle fans in particular um, behind kind of social justice causes, um, particularly in Mary Hill, but also mm-hmm. just across the rest of Glasgow. Um, so it kind of came from the idea, um, so myself, my, my good pal Alan Aitken, who's doing a lot of work on this, who's, who's working with me on this, um, we lived in London for about five years and we both used to go and see our local team who were called Dulwich Hamlet right, yeah, kind of yeah. like they're a bit the kind of hipstery lefty yeah, team yeah. but they were, they were a local team but you know the fact that they were kind of hipstery and, and lefty kind of worked as well um, <laughs> And uh, but their fans do loads of work um, in terms of like social causes so like they had like a, a trade union day one day they, every year they play a I think they still play a, a friendly against Stonewall FC LGBT charity mm-hmm. to raise money for them um, they've done lots of work with the refugees and uh, locally and things like that so um, there's a really kind of politically engaged fan base and they're just brilliant um, they've also got a similar I mean they've got about 3,000 fans each week which is probably a little bit more than Thistle so basically Alan and I had always kind of said like oh, it'd be amazing if you know, if Thistle were to do something a bit similar to this, or Thistle fans were to do something kind of similar to this. Um, never actually done it. And then a few months ago, I was through work at a, a conference and I heard a guy uh, called Ian Bung speak, who's an MP in Liverpool, right, okay. uh, Labour MP in Liverpool. But before he was an MP, um, he uh, he's a Liverpool fan and his friends are an Everton fan. They were basically, um, they, they set up this thing called Fan Support and Food Banks. And it's Liverpool fans and Everton fans coming together um, to do kind of food bank donation drives um, at every home game um, and yeah to, to support food banks across Liverpool and they're now I think providing something like a quarter of all food bank donations in Liverpool that's just purely through mobilising the Liverpool and Everton fan bases so I kind of heard him speak and just thought like we could do something here with our admittedly much smaller <laughs> fan base uh, for Hill um, and it's kind of went from there so we launched earlier this week uh, with two main kind of activities the first one is an online fundraiser uh, we were asking Thistle fans but also anybody else that wants to um, to donate money to buy season tickets um, and we're going to distribute those season tickets to uh, local charities in Mary Hill that are working with folk who might ordinarily not be able to get to games or go oh, to football matches absolutely love that yeah love so um, the first charity we're doing it for is Mary Hill Integration Network and they're a charity that um, work a lot with like refugees asylum seekers and migrants mm-hmm. who are new to Glasgow just to help them kind of settle into to life in Glasgow and to kind of um, integrate into to life in the city so um, yeah we've got an online fundraiser for, for them to, to buy season tickets for the people they work with raised over four grand so far and um, the club have pledged to double it as well uh, and we're also waiting on a, a donation from the players as well so it's gone gone brilliantly um That's and amazing. yeah so keeping that going and then the second strand of it is um a, a food bank donation drive uh, or food bank donation drives for glasgow northwest food bank who operate in mary hill and across the northwest of glasgow and um, so uh, yeah future home matches we're going to be um, collecting food and cash donations to give to them to kind of support their work so where can people get is it the Jackie Husband stand or in the back and somewhere else Jackie Husband uh, outside the Jackie Husband and outside the John Lambie stand as well right, okay. so, um, so yeah they can bring bring uh, food donations along there we've got particular items that we're looking for um, listed on our, our Twitter page um, but the whole idea really is just to 
um, yeah, mobilise Thistle fans behind um, local kind of social justice causes because mm. there is, you know, we're, we're a small club, but there is like two, two and a half, three thousand people there that kind of come every week that have this kind of shared identity, shared values, um, that have this, you know, collective sense of being a Thistle fan. Um, and this is basically about trying to harness that to to do some good. Um, so aye, that's a very long-winded way of telling you what it is. Uh, it sounds amazing to me. If anybody wants to follow you on Twitter, you can get it at, at Jags for Good um, on Twitter. I think, but as of today at six pm on what what is the twentieth Wednesday, twentieth of April, you've raised four thousand one hundred pounds. So that's essentially eight thousand two hundred. Then yeah, yeah, that's great at the club to to back that with you immediately, just right on it and thinking they wanted to, to support you. Yes, yeah, so we we approached them um, quite early doors and said we we're planning on doing this and. Um, yeah, broached the idea with with them uh, to double what we raise, and it was just straight away no problem, um, which mm-hmm. was great. Um, so I mean, we kind of yeah, kind of expected the club to be supportive anyway, but it was great that they are, and they've been helping us to promote it on on socials and stuff like that as well. So it's been it's been really really good. That's great. The t- so the, the season tickets thing is that still going for people who can buy the season still going. It's going to be ongoing for a while. So certainly in the next few weeks um, into the sort of early summer. Um, anyone that wants to can chip in whatever they can yeah. um, and if they can't afford to donate because you know we're all kind of feeling the pinch a little bit at the minute yeah. um, then just you know share on social media mm-hmm. spread it amongst you know whoever yeah. people I, I can understand it like I feel it as well people have like a sort of charity fatigue and it's like mm. you, you want to can extend it and how, how much is a season ticket at Thistle? For the next season yet to be confirmed but I think I think this season I paid about 300 something like that um, which is quite a lot um, for the, some of the Shite, we have to watch sometimes. <laughs> um, sometimes they get that, but um, yeah, we'll see what deal we can come up, we can yeah. do with the club. Um, we'll try and get as many as we possibly can. Because mm-hmm. um, with the Mary Hill Integration Network, who were giving the tickets to initially, um, a lot of the the people they work with, a lot of the guys they work with in particular, adore football, love yeah. football. Um, Same as all of us. Exactly. Like, exactly. Imagine that as having something in common. I know, that's exactly it. Um, but yeah, because they're on, you know. Um, Asylum support, which is very little, mm-hmm. they often can't afford to come to get to games. So, um, yeah, it, it'd be brilliant to to get them onto for how. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, you're saying about the Liverpool and Everton thing. Um, are they like what they're managing to contribute? My first thought there as well was, wow, that's great. And I thought, wow, that's fucking depressing that that's even required. But I suppose if you want to look on the bright side, it's a really nice thing. The second thing I was thinking is, you've got to start something. You've had a great start. Mm. It's an unbelievable start because often you see things like this being set up and for whatever reason they don't often really take off and they can kind of fizzle out to start yeah. off so well is, is excellent yeah it's been good um, I mean on, on your first point about the fact that it's even necessary I think you're, you're absolutely right and the, like the fact that I mean who'd heard of a food bank 10 years ago I know like, it's, it's something the, the Mary Hill food bank was the first one I ever heard of yeah I'd go and like volunteer and stuff and that was about probably 8, 9 years ago yeah so I mean there are, there are a kind of relatively recent thing that evolved in the UK but and but they've became commonplace and you see you know there's the food bank donation points in supermarkets and all that kind of thing everyone knows what food bank is but the fact that they exist is shameful it's, it's absolutely shameful um so you know football fans should not have to do this no. um, this is the responsibility of governments um but you know the fact that so many folk are struggling means that you know that, that football fans are stepping up but um yeah the fact that they exist in the first place mm-hmm. is is a is a disgrace what do you think about the government's you know the criminalization of football fans and that do you have a much of an opinion you're allowed to share an opinion um i mean it's, it's difficult i think football fans are always treated pretty poorly i mm-hmm. mean even like thistle fans when you go to you know an away game at like i don't know 
I saw uh, one of the Thistle fans was up in court today for a bit of a shambolic charge by yeah, Manfred. Yeah, I was yeah. reading about that and I was, I, I was, I did that thing where I read it right and I was immediately fucking raging yeah. when I started to think what had happened. Yeah. And I thought, hold on, take a step back because you don't know all the details. Mm. Um, there may be, there may be something and not for a second I'm accusing of doing anything wrong, but I thought there may be some misunderstanding. Sure. Yeah. There could be anything. And I was reading it and I thought, that is shambolic. Like yeah. that is horrendous. Yeah, yeah. He was accused of. He was accused of being racist against the a broth keeper. I think. Probably um, just, just a white p. I don't want to say the word the p word. Yeah. And I was like, at what point would those words leave his mouth? Yeah. So it was, leave anyone's mouth. Yeah. Thrown out straight away by by the judge. But I think that's the kind of thing that I think far too often football fans are treated like absolute shite by authorities. Mm. Even things like, like I always moan about this, but the fact that I can't go to Farhill and watch Thistle versus a broth and have a pint at my seat like to me that's mental it's nuts um, it? but you can do it if you go to the rugby yeah, exactly that's exactly it what's the difference except yeah. for the fact that we don't and I was going to start noising rugby fans up. I can't be asked I can't yeah. be asked I'd really support that um, but I mean fair enough you know don't, you don't have booze at Rangers versus Celtic or whatever but you know like Forfa versus Elgin or something like that why can't a Forfa fan have a pint well here's the thing right see everybody when they'll say don't have booze at Rangers versus Celtic here's mm. a news flash <laughs> Right, so I was at the game on Sunday at yeah. Hamden. What is there, 52,000 of us? 48,000 of us were all steaming. Yeah, So Were you steaming, eh? Uh, I was half cut. Right. But the reason I wasn't steaming <laughs> is because two weeks previous when we played at Ibrox, um, I was, I couldn't even bite my own finger now by 4pm. <laughs> so I was like, don't do that again. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I managed to last the duration this time. Fair, fair. Partly not the way through. I don't know why I was partying because yeah. we battered. <laughs> <laughs> so funny that though. Worst doing we've had in quite a while and uh, had the best day of my life. There you go. That's figure that one. Out. We we've had a lot of doings in the time I've been supporting this, so I wouldn't describe any of them as being the best day of my life. But no, I tell you what, not the best day of my life, but post post yeah, final yeah, whistle, yeah. And what a day we had. Everybody yeah. are the same. I don't know if it's because we're just like, oh well, disappointing, but yeah, we're on course to that's, win the league. That, that's part of the the fun of being a football fan, like especially away trips and stuff. Um, sometimes the result is irrelevant. It's just about but, going somewhere a bit random mm, and getting. We um, I think to to kind of come back a wee bit day to the because um, I kind of took us off on a mad tangent there but I think foot, you know, foot, even the term seeing people say football fans I'm like mm. the fuck does that mean it's yeah. the broadest of all spectrums yeah yeah, yeah. you know every political allegiance every race yeah creed nationality whatever you know socio-political viewpoints mm. like we're all completely different people but I think you know, the, the the targeting of uh, football fans is is um Utterly bizarre. You, you see, you see it a lot with football in general. Like uh, thinking back to the remember the start of the pandemic when like Premiership footballers were being criticised by was it Matt Hancock or UK oh. government ministers for not donating their wages? Yeah, you rat uh, bastard. What's your, where's your wages? Do you know what? <laughs> Do you know what? See that? What pure riles me? I remember getting so angry and what smashed my head repeatedly mm. off a brick wall and going like, "They pay their yeah. fucking taxes. <laughs> exactly. That's why they don't need to donate it because they pay their tax. See yeah, if everybody yeah. paid their tax, there would be no need for fucking charity. Yeah, somebody, if some, you shouldn't be allowed to make me charitable donations. I mean, pay your fucking taxes every month. Well, exactly. But then also they did all donate I a massive chunk of cash. And fortunes. then you also, you know, you had Marcus Rashford doing his amazing work, and the, the UK government basically, you know. 
mm. ignoring them for That's months on I mean, end. So for that we that little wimpy weasel Hancock, <laughs> you knew what he was doing, didn't you? Yeah. It was just deflecting. But, but, but you get the mass, the idiotic masses that will lap it up and go, I and they've never even done a war either. Yeah. <laughs> <Fucking> bring <laughs> it all back to give soldiers footballers wages. Fuck off. Well, that's a lip. It's, it's because footballers and football, I think, is is always such an easy target. Um, it's a classist that? attack, I would say. Absolutely, but I think I think like I mean, I would agree that in terms of the, the, some of the wages that footballers get, you know, talking about was it half a million that Haaland's going to be on at, at Man, mm, City, Man City. That is obscene. Like, there's no getting around that. But but. I think that's that's an obscene wage for anyone, yeah. in my opinion, anyone in society to earn. Nobody yeah. should earn half a million pounds a week. That's just crazy and and completely, you know, embedding inequality and all that. But I, I I'm totally comfortable with footballers at the high end getting paid lots of money because ultimately they're the workers that are producing the yes. They, they've got the talent, and um, you know, I, I don't think there's been massive disparities. But um, I think that yeah, they're, they're too easy a target with with footballers. So I, I've get quite a, a strong opinion on this. I think, first of all, the attack on footballers. I don't hear tennis players, Formula One drivers, yeah. rugby players, actors, musicians, politicians, mm. uh, corrupt and immoral businessmen, people like that, Philip Green, yeah. and Richard Branson, some of the shit they pull. It's a classist thing because you look and go, none of you are, you're our council estate boys, you shouldn't have this money. They mm. feel like they, and in the eyes of the critics, I think they, they see it as an ill-gotten wealth. You don't deserve this. You're yeah, just yeah. running a mill scum. You shouldn't have it. When in actual fact, when you put their annual earnings up, up against some of these other people that, that they're failing to criticise, that you know they're not even the same stratosphere. You look at the taxes that they pay versus the taxes that people avoid. Mm. I mean, when I was on... I was on BBC Seven Days and I called Richard Branson a weapon because he went to space after asking for half a billion yeah. pounds. I don't know if he got it, actually. I, I, I think he did actually get it. And he is a weapon. Um, so. He is a weapon. Yeah. He's a pure weapon. You're like, cut your hair, you're funny, you're about 70. <laughs> and he stopped dying it as well. Yeah, um, But the, the thing I think about, I completely agree that the players are the ones who are creating the wealth in the first place. So yeah. they should be the ones that should be having it. Not the, not the bosses, the fat cats and the CEOs of these club, clubs that are essentially global conglomerates mm. now aren't they yeah yeah and i think that the way i kind of whittle it down let's t- look at holland right so if he's going to be getting half a million pounds i think when you're in that the, the, the you know the top echelon of, of football it it goes beyond being paid for your capabilities in the football pitch because if your capabilities in the football pitch can only earn the club so much yeah champions league uh, you know, winning the Premiership, TV money, or that kind of thing, and it then goes, I think, to the 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 commercial value of these mm. players. And I would say, so I would argue that these players, if they went for say, a transfer fee of a billion or two billion, I'd be mm. like, yeah, it's silly money. But when a company acquires another company and they spend True. two billion, essentially, that's what these play. When when you're in that top top bracket, yeah, that's who you are. You're a you're a you're a commercial company yeah. whose image rights are worth almost unlimited billions and um yeah i don't think anybody should be getting that much money but again if i would be like well if it was me and i said well i earned this company two billion yeah i want 25 percent of that i think that's fair and i think you know football operates in the market so if that's i guess if that's what the market says they'll go for then that's mm-hmm. what they say they'll go yeah. for but i guess just yeah i'd come back to the fundamental point that yeah, nobody needs half a million pounds a week it's just that. it's just crazy but i don't think players should be vilified for getting it because nope 
it's it's you know it's there. It's, it's, there. it's the entertainment now, isn't it? It's the entertainment business. Like no, maybe say. not. Maybe not for health, to be honest. <laughs> I know, I know, not I much know, entertainment most Saturdays. I, but. I was about to say not at Celtic Park last year, but we, nobody could get in anyway. So <laughs> thank fuck, man, because we were screaming to get out. You were delayed with the pandemic last year, weren't you? Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. That's 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 what it was. It was nothing to do with <laughs> nothing to do with anything else. Yeah. Um, I kind of this is pure nosiness for me. How? Why were you working in China? What were you doing? In China, um, I left uni and um, yeah, fancied going to China. Um, Just fucked off to China, whereabouts? <laughs> a place called Tianjin. Right, okay. um, so by total chance, my my gran was actually born and brought up there. So she's oh. Italian family, but born and brought up there. And then I applied for this, um, I teaching English in China thing, and randomly got posted there. So, mate, so I. Uh, this is just kind of a running joke. Oh, here this fucking arsehole goes again. But I went and taught English in Barcelona in right? ah, right, yeah, 2013. Yeah, yeah. But, and I've actually never mentioned this because I think I just kind of put it out of my head. But I also applied for one in somewhere in southern China. Right, yeah, And it was with a company and the guy was on me, right, <laughs> wanting me to go because I think he was struggling. Yeah. He maybe had a few places to fill. Yeah, yeah. He was on me. He was even like wanting to come up to Glasgow and meet and all that. And I was right. like, mate, I've been accepted to Barcelona to do it. Yeah. Um, and I always wonder what might have happened. Did it you was, enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Um, it was good. I mean, I was a terrible teacher. Like, I was so teaching. Was, I, mean, I, was I just honestly, blagged it. So I was teaching classes of like 50 to 60, like 15, 16 year olds. And um, like those kids watched so many DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> they watched the Twilight series about <laughs> six times. Show, I used to show mine just videos of Celtic scoring against yeah, Rangers. They, they saw like, you know, the Thistle Championship winning video maybe a couple of times. And, um, they repeat, and what, repeat after John Lambie. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Their English is, uh, yeah, I got a few fucks in there. But um, no, at, at one point I was showing them loads of, they love Mr Bean. Uh, so I showed them loads of Mr Bean. Obviously, Mr Bean doesn't speak, so yeah. there was no pretense at being about teaching them English because he's <laughs> he's silent. So yeah, I um, met I met Mr Bean in China. You met, met Ron Atkinson in China. Well, uh, how, what, what happened? Oh, Hong Kong. I met him in, so I probably I should maybe say that I wasn't. I mean, technically now it is <laughs> yeah, China, but it's controversial. Oh, how did China you? China. What was the what was um, the chat there? I was flying back from. Well, this is really weird, right? How this happened. So my auntie's worked for British Airways like for years and years. Yeah. And uh, I was on a staff travel list. So I got to fly like first class, loads of places and go with nice. her on her staff travel. Nice. And we were in Hong Kong and it's so weird. So we went to a place called uh, Ping, right? Which is mm-hmm. like a, a Buddhist mad monastery somewhere. You have to get a cable car to get to miles. And we went with this woman. She was lovely. We were chatting a wee all day. So you know that mm-hmm. we spend 12 hours with somebody, you find out all sorts about them. Yeah, yeah. And she was talking about her son and she's like, my son is the world's biggest Mr. Bean fan. And I was like, oh, that's quite unusual. I was like, I love Mr. <laughs> so Bean. She's thing to boast about as well. <laughs> I know. I was like, I loved Mr. Bean as well. I was like, but two decades ago when he yeah. was kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was on TV and all that. And She's like, oh no, he's obsessed with him. Obsessed is all he talks about, Mr. Bean. And I was like, that is a very specific niche <laughs> thing. So anyway, we're on. I was allowed back on the staff bus, right, right, to go to Hong Kong airport to fly to Heathrow. And they do, they basically do their thing where they're like, the CSD, which is the cabin service directors, like briefing all the cabin crew and stuff. And here's blah, and here's where you're working and whatever. Yeah, here's yeah. so many people. Here's the dietary requirements. And then he goes, oh, funny thing. I had a look through the first class passengers. And uh, and by the way, the cabin service director didn't know about the Mr. Bean conversation. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I noticed a name, Rowan Atkinson. And he's like, um, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if it's him. And she's like, I've turned around and looked at her and I was like, no fucking way. I can't be like, <laughs> she's what? off her seat. Yeah. I was like, what are the chances? And uh, so then we're 
going on the plane and it's like with first class passengers please approach the <laughs> thing or whatever so I've like get up and I'm like footering about with my stuff and I've like literally just like bumped elbows with somebody and went oh yeah. sorry and like talking there's fucking Mr Bean there staring is. back at me wow I was like no way so we're on the did he pull a funny face or was it was he purely seen rowing rowing he motor? was very much rowing at yeah. it wasn't even the black adder one he just was like right. pure serious yeah and his his wee cabin thing was like kind of in front of mine but to the right so I was just looking at him and uh, he was very particular with his things right really really particular with his things and I was looking at him thinking hmm I wonder perhaps is he maybe on the spectrum he is I googled it and he is there you go and uh, but the uh, the woman came down and was like so I'm like I need a fucking picture of Mr Bean here and send this to my pals this is going to be amazing and uh, she went up and was like said someone's a huge fan can I get a picture and he went no <laughs> said, come on Mr he, I know he said no Jeez. to be in, in def- his defence he said I just flatly say no to photos all the time I don't feel comfortable and they said yeah. but I'll sign anything that you want fair enough and also I've heard your son's absolutely mental getting away from him <laughs> <I know. laughs> but then I was like oh fuck so I just left him to it fair do you know I've uh, I've got no Mr Bean like personal anecdotes but my favourite thing about Mr Bean is you know James Acaster the comedian yeah yeah so I think he had like some sort of breakdown a few years ago apparently it was basically because Rowan Atkinson stole his girlfriend. Imagine having your girlfriend stolen by Mr. Bean. Mate, I've read this. Did he not turn yeah. it into a stand-up? Yeah, yeah, so he had he built up a whole amazing stand-up <laughs> show about it. But like, well, I mean, you can see where the breakdown came from. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, he's not, he's quite young, is he not, James A. Cast? Yeah, yeah. Ah, he's like, and Rowan Atkinson's like, maybe in his 70s. Something like that, yeah. Mr. Bean. That is... Sad. That is absolutely mental. Sad one. Um, Barry China, I think that's funny. How long, Mira? <laughs> uh, I was there for about a year. Um... Yeah, just being a rubbish teacher, about having a having a nice time. Did you go around China? Yeah, we went all kind of all over. Um, had a lot of time off because my school kept giving me like less and less lessons, and mm. they kind of as in because I was so crap. Mm. Like, Why is this guy showing Mr. Bean all the time? Like, Aye, just that's hilarious. Some, so yeah, had a lot of free time. Um, went to a lot of football matches as well. So I went to go see my local team there. Um, that was quite fun, and uh, yeah, played in a kind of a football team over there as well. So that was good. Again, that thing about football being a kind of thing that brings folk together was definitely true then uh, yeah total um, common language I yeah. played in a, an international football league and made pals feel like all over the world man yeah. it, was, it was class it was brilliant yeah The uh, what was, there was something I was going to say there about being in China I bet the Chinese people like obviously it's a, an enormous country yeah. there's something like more people in China speak English than there are native English speakers in the world <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it I wouldn't doubt it no it was good I mean um, yeah I loved it uh, the people were brilliant um, but the site that I was in there wasn't an awful lot of Westerners so like I'm like six foot three like ginger beard so I was a bit of an oddity <laughs> um, so we used to get like me and my other pals that were there they were British we used to other white British um, used to get stopped and asked for photos all the time really, and that yeah. kind of thing never quite sure like where the photos go like, uh, no, that's... Go. Um, but no it was it was great and actually again go back to the football thing like I tried to I'd always try and improve my Chinese by chatting with the taxi drivers and um, one of the first things that I tried to learn that I've totally forgotten now was are you a football fan and then just try and get some sort of chat about football which was mm. usually just like naming players at each other you know like yeah, Wayne, yeah. Wayne, all that kind of thing that's amazing um, but it was a good way of bringing you know bringing some bringing folk together and having a bit of chat so you actively speak Chinese not anymore nah, no nah, nah. I can still like swear in Chinese and stuff do you know but... who speaks Chinese who's that Tim Lennox does he really but he, I'm sure <laughs> he speaks he, English I, I think he, I know I think so Tim Lennox if you're wondering is our mutual pal good friend and his dad <laughs> I better know thing me. I think it might be sensitive information, but right. his dad basically worked in China. Right, is he a spy? And I, I think it's 
probably not far off it. I think he uh, he speaks Cantonese, maybe. Okay, okay. And they sometimes go to like Cantonese restaurants, and his dad will speak. So I think, I think Tim also speaks a wee bit, which I find absolutely mental. That's baffling. That's absolutely baffling. Um, I, I, yeah. When I went to Hong Kong, I taught myself just a couple, like three phrases. Yeah. And it was Nihao Nihama. Yeah. Just hi, how are you? And then the only one, other one I needed was Dosh Hao Chien. How much is that? How much is that? Yes. <laughs> oh, hey. Still speaks. got it, man. Still that, got it. That's impressive. The thing is, like, so my folks came out to visit me like maybe five months into me being there. And um, the first couple of days, they were, because I'd, I'd order food for them every night and they were quite impressed. Wow, Neil's, Neil's Chinese has got really good. I got to like the first weekend and they were like, we're eating the same meal every single night. Because <laughs> I, I had my really limited repertoire. Uh, um, but actually, yeah, on, on speaking Chinese, like, really, really embarrassing. Like, I came back from China and I felt really smug with myself. Like, oh, I've travelled, you know, travelled to China, blah, blah, blah. Speak a bit of Chinese. And I went out, I was must have been, what, 22, 23 when I came back and um, went out with pals one night in, in Glasgow. And then we went to, I think it was the Hong Kong Express, used to be on Socky Hill Street. It's like, um, I Cantonese, like takeaway, just like a kind of noodle bar place. I think I know, is it like opposite kind of oh, where like classrooms used to be? Yeah. Or like up for the garage? That's the one, yeah. yeah I used yeah. to work in a mad shitty call centre and I used to go there um, yeah. on my breaks for food and it was amazing. Well, it was. Um, it's not amazing when you're a, an absolutely steaming Glaswegian trying to speak Chinese to order your food well yeah i was i've tried probably to, thought you were just that's just how people talk honestly, when they're absolutely mortifying um yeah my friends haven't let me figure that one so that's funny right. man it's a shame that you forgot you should try and pick a wee belt i know you know i learned when i said that and by the way i'd actually like to point out to the person listening do shao chen i have to say it like because because i remember going like do shao chen and it means something totally different yeah. like the intonation and all that the inflection is mental the tones but yeah. whatever they said to me i would go tai gui lu which means that's too, too expensive. expensive. Yeah. Mate, you, you are no, basically I'm Chinese. I'm fluent. I'm being humble. I'm fluent. Aye. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that's class, man. Aye, tag we look too expensive. And then they just be like to me like, well, I just told you it's 15 pence yeah. or whatever the, whatever the, uh, the equivalent is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this has been great. I've really, I've honestly enjoyed this so much. Oh, thank you. This is, um, these are my favourite kinds. Because my favourite kind is when I really have to actually draw them from, like, Say if it's an interview with somebody who's like, I don't know, an actor or something. I'm like, for the most part, I know 90% of what this person's going to tell me, yeah, but I need yeah. to draw out them. But it's like, I'm actually, this is as we go, because there's yeah, no fucking yeah. way I would possibly know know a lot of this oh, stuff. Totally. Yeah, well, it's been good, thank you. To recap, just if people want to come, is it for the, is it against Dunfermline this Saturday? Yeah, so the game at Far Hill against Dunfermline Saturday, so we'll be collecting um, outside the John Lambie stand and the Jackie Husband stand um, for Glasgow Northwest Food Bank, so folk can bring along um, yeah, food donations where we have the, the foods that we're particularly looking for or they're particularly in need of um, on our Twitter and Instagram pages um, and folk can also donate to our online fundraiser try to buy season tickets for local charities um, so that we can get folk who might not be able to get to the football along to the football next season at, at Far Hill um, to share in the in the misery of being a Thistle fan mm. so that's the that's the plan I might come to a Thistle game my, I always say this as well my Do uncle's it. a kit man at Thistle is he really? yeah Paul McDonald alright cool yeah He's, come uh, along nabs me on wanted boots at the end of the season it's yeah, fucking yeah. class man yeah that's been great mate well best of luck with, with everything with, with Jags for good I uh, wish you all the best and I'm sure it will continue or it will yeah, keep thriving brilliant um, for the person listening if you were listening to me ranting and getting raging about the government and I'm sort of stealing and just being completely morally bankrupt and corrupt um, and you didn't like the swearing then fuck yeah I'm only joking I'm only joking thank you for listening and we'll be back with another episode of Bleathered soon cheers
Blethered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, Natural Wonders, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.